We've started, we're in the second week of a three-week series that we've entitled Ordinary Faithfulness, and we've been learning together what it means that God meets us in the grit and the grime of the grind, and how we have a God who shapes the ordinary places of our lives. He's not a God just of mountaintops, but he's a God of your day-to-day life. Because what we want to do is we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful followers of him. And I think that begs the question, well, what is a disciple anyways? Well, I love this quote by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. He says, a disciple is someone that follows Jesus in the everyday stuff of life while teaching others to do the same. A disciple is someone who gives to Jesus all of their lives and says, God, would you change every single part of it, my work life, my home my home life, the way I parent my children, the way I relate to my spouse. He's a God who meets us in the everyday humdrum of life, the everyday stuff of life. So in the pathway to experiencing God in the ordinary spaces of our lives, well, is often through being intentional with spiritual practices. Last week, We looked at one of those practices, and that is engaging with Christian community and biblical community, where we do life together under the word of God, as people shaped by the Bible living out in the world. And today, we're going to talk about how God works for us, or sorry, through us. Last week, we learned how he worked for us by giving us the church. This week, we're going to learn about he works through us, through evangelism. Now, evangelism, simply put, is telling other people about Jesus. And when I say that, part of you might tense up a little bit on the inside because I get it. Evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, can be awkward and hard and kind of uncomfortable to step into. But what I want to do today is I want to share from God's Word about about evangelism and how God uses it, how he works through us. And I want to also do something maybe a little bit different is share a little bit of my own journey um, as I've grown in this, because even though I'm a pastor and even though I have like a degree from seminary, evangelism is something I've had to grow in. I still have to grow in. I've had to work at, I've had to strive to get better in. And what we're going to see today is that God does the work. So we spread the word. God does the work, so we spread the word. So with that, can you turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 16 to 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, smartphone, Bible, whatever you got. Um, we'll look at chapter, chapter 5, we'll look at verse 16 through the end of the chapter. And as a reminder, I'll end by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond with thanks be to God. Hear this. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, you give us your word, and so God, would you, would you help us to hear, and would you help us to do? In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians is one of Paul's most gritty books. He's writing to a church that he helped start. And he was involved in training up leaders and raising them up and commissioning this church and getting it off the ground, really. And he wrote a previous letter called 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes with a certain theological precision as he calls out a bunch of sin and just a bunch of messed up stuff that was happening in his church. I mean, it was really messed up. There were people sleeping with their 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 uh, mother-in-law, and there was there was like lots of rampant promiscuity in this church. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians to correct this church. But in 2 Corinthians, the book that we're in today, he's going to actually take that up a notch because it hasn't really gotten much better in Corinth. There are people there who are now completely peddling falsehoods and they're undermining the authority of Paul, the apostolic authority of Paul. They're, they're spreading a different gospel and Paul is writing to kind of reestablish himself, reassert himself, and to point people back to the truth as it is in Jesus. Now, Corinth is is a special place. So, and I want to just kind of point out what it was like. Corinth is a wealthy port city in the Greco-Roman world. It's a place of prominence, a place of diversity, a place of trade and, and commerce. Lots of business was done there. And commentators point out that this city was marked by rugged individualism and self-sufficiency. It viewed wealth as the key to status. It displayed wealth and accomplishments to garnish praise for others. In, it competed for honor and used boasting and achievements and success to get honor. And they took pride in where they lived because it showed like your social location, kind of like saying you're from like a really, really wealthy town or place. And the summary is that self-appreciation was the goal and self-gratification was the reward. It was a place of security, of status, of materialism. Sound familiar at all. It's a place a lot like the United States, New England maybe. So with that background, we're going to break up our passage into three parts, with the first point being our mindset. Our mindset. If God does, a work, God does the work, we're going to need to adopt a new mindset for how we see others, how we see our Savior, and how we see ourselves. Look at what Paul says right at the beginning. He says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Paul says that the way in which we view others and the way in which we view the world around us is now markedly different than it used to be. And the reason for this is in verse 15, if you look up. And he says, 
And he, that is Jesus, died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Because of Jesus, we have a new perspective. And that new perspective is that we no longer live for ourselves, that we no longer live like everyone else in in Corinth lives, that we live for God. And this means that if we're going to be effective in sharing the gospel, if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, in the ordinary and the grit and grime of the grind, we're going to need to push back against the values of the world around us that creep into our hearts. Think about it. In Corinth, people were valued for their status, what they had, where they lived. And what we get with Christ is a new perspective that says, it doesn't matter what you have or where you live or where you're from or where you went on vacation. And on the other side of that, it doesn't matter what you've done or how far you feel or how much you've made a hash of it in your life. Because in Christ, we are all in need of grace. And this means that, that no one is more worthy of the gospel, that no one is more qualified because their life looks more put together. No one is more qualified to receive the good news of Jesus than another person. That, and it also means that no one is too far from grace to receive the grace of God. No one is too far from that we have an opportunity to share the good news with someone. So we need to adopt a new perspective, a new lens of viewing people that says it doesn't matter where they've been, what you've done, how messed up your life is, you come to Christ as unworthy and guess what? God reaches unworthy people. And so we need to view everyone who doesn't know God as equal and as someone that God can save. The Lord by his grace, had to work this into my own heart. When I moved to Louisville several years ago, Nicole and I lived uh, at 1417 Belmar Road in Louisville, Kentucky. It was, a, it was not in the city, but it wasn't really in the suburbs either. It was kind of this in-between land, kind of blue-collar neighborhood. It was a really great place to live. And across the street was this house. Now, this house, uh, the lawn is impeccable, but the stuff that came out of this house was, I, I don't even know what was going on half the time. But the neighbor, neighbors knew something was happening there and it was not good. You would hear like shouts and screams coming from this house in the middle of the night um, as the husband and wife would argue. Random people would pull in, go in and leave. And like, I'm, I'm guessing there was some drug dealing going on. It was a mess. It was kind of like the talk of the neighborhood. If something happened that night, you would be at the fence with your neighbor and they would mention, did you hear what happened across the street? And, and at least three days a week, the, the woman that lived there would mow her lawn and then blow all of the grass clippings into the storm drain, which was like, it's not really what it's there for, but I guess. Um, but what did I do? What did everyone in the neighborhood do? With that house, we all kept our distance. That house was radioactive. Wasn't getting anywhere near whatever was going on there. It was a mess. But slowly, God began to work on my own heart. And I began to pray for interactions with my neighbors. And if I was gonna 
pray that prayer, I was gonna have to start viewing, I was gonna have to adopt a new mindset and start viewing my neighbors as someone God can reach. I was gonna have to start viewing the woman across the street and her husband as someone who wasn't too far from the grace of God. Someone less like a problem to be avoided and more like someone to serve. No one included, including that drug-addicted neighbor across the street is unworthy of hearing the good news about Jesus. Rebecca Pippert, who's an author, says it this way. She says, Jesus wants us to see the neighbor next door or the people sitting next to us on the plane or in a classroom are not interruptions to our schedule. They're there by divine appointment. Jesus wants us to see their needs, their loneliness, their longings, and he wants to give us the courage to reach out to them. See, it wasn't an accident that I lived across the street from that drug-addicted neighbor. It wasn't an accident that I found myself there. So I had to start viewing her with a new mind and start realizing that God puts all of us in places not just like as, as happenstance or as coincidence, but where you live, where you work, all of that is intentional. They're there by divine appointment. And then Paul gets even more personal here. So after he says we need to adopt a new mindset, he says that we need to adopt a new mindset with Christ too. And what he means is that before, he didn't see Christ as the one who could actually save them. That he viewed Christ as someone who couldn't because he viewed Christ according to the law. But now he realized that Jesus was the only one who can deliver, the only one who can rescue anyone, and he is the one who rescued him. Paul says in verse 17, he makes this big, beautiful statement. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Our new mindset comes because we are new in Christ. And if you were to look at this tenses and unpack the, the Greek behind all of this, with the language behind it and the words that are being used, you would see that, that we are actually participating in this new creation life that will carry on into eternity. We are made new and the things that we get to do now have ripple effects. We get to take with us, we get to impact Eternity itself, because God works through his people as we share the good news. So we need to adopt a mindset that is an eternal one, one that says, hey, I've been made new in Christ. I can see Christ for who he is as the only one that can save, and I can see my neighbors and my coworkers who don't know Jesus or my family members who are far from Jesus. I can see them as the people that Christ can save and that he wants to save through us. So we pursue others with the good news, which leads to our next point, our maker. After this big, beautiful statement about who we are, Paul then reminds the church that all of this is from God. Look at verse 18. God is the primary worker. Look at how he works. He, Paul says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. And then again in verse 19, he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. Remember that biblically, everyone who is apart from Jesus is far from God. 
No one is closer to God than another person. And it is God who is the one that reaches out to us. We were the enemies. It was God who reconciled in Christ. And because of his great love for us, brought us near and made us whole. Colossians says it this way, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He does the work, so we spread the word. God is the one who does the reaching. We weren't interested in becoming new creations, but God reached out and saved us. So just because your neighbor or your friends or the classmate isn't, doesn't seem interested, God is the one who actually does the saving. And in this, in this world, everyone is looking for things to satisfy. Corinth was looking for things to satisfy, the accumulation of stuff, the accumulation of fame, of notoriety, and all of it rings empty. And in this world and its brokenness, it's, it's full of people chasing after things. It's full of people looking for, for community. It's full of people looking for home. It's full of people looking for satisfaction. And it's God who calls us home and can give us all of those things who doesn't hold our sins against us. And how does he do it? He says right here in the text that it's through Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that people are not in right relationship with God by default. Man, it's easy if you gather with people you love and care about and just hang out with, like, but they don't know Jesus. It's easy to forget that, that they don't know Jesus. And it's easy to just kind of like gloss over their life and forget that they're missing really the most important person who can change everything about everything. And we need to remember that they stand far away from God, that it doesn't matter what they've done or how good they are or how powerful or comfortable their life is. If they don't know Jesus, they stand separated from him. Acts in the popular verse says that there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Friends, we have to see people as they really are if we're gonna share the gospel with them. And we have to remember that God has already done all the heavy lifting. We just need to share the good news. God does the work. We spread the word, which leads to our last point our mission, our mission. In light of all that God has done in our new way of seeing God, our maker, and ourselves, we are invited into the mission. Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, and he, God, has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God did the work, we spread the word, and God has invited us into his mission of reconciliation. We are heralds of good news that in Christ, God is no longer counting our sins against us. What good news is that? That in Christ, the things we've done, the things where we've, where we've 
made a mess of things. God is no longer counting our sins against us in Christ. That is great news that we can share with our friends that what you're looking for isn't degrees or health or just isolation or self, that what you're looking for is Jesus. And that we, brothers and sisters, get to participate in that mission of just saying, hey, God isn't counting your sins against you anymore in Christ. Would you just believe in him? I quoted Jeff Vanderstout earlier, but I want to quote him again. He says, the mission of Jesus is yours to participate in. It has always been God's intention to choose normal, everyday people and show his amazing power and glory through them. He's not looking for the most impressive person because he already is that person. You ever feel just inadequate? Like, man, how am I gonna share this? I I can barely get my words out right. I trip up over my speech. I trip up over my speech and they put me behind a pulpit. Um, Or I don't really know a lot of theology. I just know that Jesus changed me. Well, the mission is ours to participate in. God wants to use you, who you are, where you sit, where you live. He wants to use you. He already is impressive. You don't have to be. God wants to use us, friends. So what I thought we'd do is I thought we'd give us some practical steps you can take right now to be growing in evangelism, that is in sharing the good news of Jesus. Here's some practical steps. Step one, know your story. Paul is retracing for this church his own background and he shows how he came from death to life. Man, if you have a story of faith, I would encourage you to take down, take, take a half hour, take an hour or so and write your story out. Know your story. Write it out. I, I know you can probably like think and, and say it, but the reason you write it is so you can see it and just marvel at what God does kind of as a way of solidifying it in your mind. Write it out. Make it three to 500 words. That's three to five minutes if, as I talk. So write out three to 500 words, three to five minutes. Hey, here's, what, here's how Jesus changed my life. And listen, your story doesn't have to be a happily ever after right now because right now we're in process. It will be happily ever after in Jesus. But right now we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with our, our flesh. We still struggle with the world. We struggle against the devil. Like we still struggle. And that's part of your story too and how Jesus is, is saving you presently from those things. So remember, God chooses ordinary people. So know your story, write it down, and then be prepared to share it. Even if your testimony is boring, like you grew up in a Christian home, my testimony is boring too. But God uses those things to save people. Step two, know your mission field. Man, it's summer, and at least it feels like summer, and it's really a great time to gather with people and God wants to use the ordinary spaces that you're in to reach people. He doesn't want you, you don't necessarily have to go on a mission trip to do missions for Jesus. You actually just have to be faithful where you are, right where he has you. And your mission, I think we've used these before, is in four parts. It's your location, it's where you live. Your neighbors are not an accident. It's your vocation, it's where you work or learn. Where you go to school isn't just where you chose to go to college or where you happen to attend high school. It's God has put you there on purpose. In his plan, God has put you there. It's our recreation. It's where we play. What leagues are you in? Where do you hang out or take your kids to the park or whatnot? God has put you in those spaces to reach people. Begin to see it like a mission field. 
And then it's our restoration. Where's there need around us that we can participate in? Where's there someone that we need to serve? In all of those things, we exist in all of those spaces already, friends. Like chances are you live somewhere. Chances are you work and learn somewhere and you, and you do stuff that's fun, right? And you might see needs around you. Well, those are the spaces that God has given you. You don't need to go looking for them. They're right in front of you. You just have to have eyes to see and adopt that new mindset we talked about. Step three, befriend others. Befriend others. Simple enough. Just be friends with people. And I don't mean like be friends long enough to share the gospel with them and then like be like, eh, forget it. No, actually befriend people. Befriend people who aren't like you. Befriend people who might have a different worldview, a different lifestyle, and, and really be friends with them. We have a friendship crisis in our culture. No one knows how to be friends anymore, but we should. We can befriend people and, and see the image of God in them and befriend the people around you. We have a savior that shared meals with tax collectors and sinners. So, Brothers and sisters, let's just be friends, befriend people because we have a savior who befriended us, who brought us near and brought us close. Let me introduce you to a little graphic that is so simple. It's silly. This comes from a, a called the London Institute of Christian, uh, Contemporary Christianity. And, you know, it's easy for us as Christians to love our Christian friends. And I love my Christian friends and I hope you do too. And I hope you have them. It, but, but I've also seen where this can take shape where we kind of have our holy huddle. We only do things with our Christian friends or we, we, we try to just get together as much as possible so we don't have to go out into the big bad world. But man, what would it look like if we lived intentionally in the world that we made? That instead of just like gathering in a corner in a holy huddle, we actually like chose to live on our mission field. So what's more effective, the people gathered down here in the corner or the people scattered in the world that God's made for the mission? Who has more interaction with people who don't know Jesus? What's the scattered people who chose to view the world as their mission field? And friends, we need to be like this box on the left. We need to be people who, who not only just get together on Sunday, which we should, or in our missional communities or, or gatherings, but we need to be people who actually live on mission in the spheres that God has given us so that we can reach others for Jesus, so that they can know who he is. And some people have asked like, oh, I love churches that do more and more outreach. I want more and more outreach. And I'm gonna, if you ask me that, like, what are we gonna do for outreach? I'm gonna turn that around. And I'm gonna ask, what are you gonna do for outreach? Who are your neighbors? Have you gotten to know them? Are you being intentional in your spheres? Sure, there's a place for us to do things from, from here, but, but I want us to be deployed into the world for mission. We are less effective in a holy huddle. Step four. Pray for opportunities and boldness. Pray for opportunities and boldness. Throughout this process, as you get to know your story, as you begin to know your mission field, and as you begin um, to befriend others, pray for opportunities. In seminary, I was challenged to do this. And I don't wanna scare you at all, but here's the crazy thing. Whenever I started to do this, I discovered that God loves to answer this request. I say, God, pray for opportunities. I want some opportunities to share. I want some opportunities to befriend people who aren't like me. 
Watch what he does. All of a sudden, I was starting, I was having more opportunities to get to know my neighbors than I ever had before. It was like, it was weird. All of a sudden, I'm having more conversations in the coffee shop that I worked at in seminary as people were walking through and I was making their lattes or my coworkers. We're having more conversations about faith than, than I had in like months prior. We're having all of a sudden, all of these conversations about, about faith. And then suddenly that neighbor that's across the street who's blowing grass clippings into the storm drain, she's coming over to my wife and I asking for help in the middle of a bad situation. It's like, holy cow. All I had to do was ask God for more opportunities, ask God for lenses to see. And then with that, friends, I would ask for boldness. In, in the book of Acts, more than anything else, we see like prayers for boldness over and over and over again. And this is encouraging, right? Because it kind of recognizes that that's what we need. That we often like, get fearful but as God gives you these opportunities, pray for boldness to share. You just gotta say things like, hey, let me tell you about what really changed my life. Or, hey, do you wanna come to church with me sometime? All it takes is a simple invite. Step five, share your story. It's a hard part. Finally, I just wanna encourage you that doing all the stuff before is great, but eventually we have to tell other people about Jesus. And it doesn't have to be complicated, but we have to have a conversation. One, um, one author says an easy way to just begin having this conversation is, is um, just basically ask someone, hey, are you interested in spiritual things? Or what do you think about spiritual things? Or, or what do you think about the afterlife? Or, or anything like that. And that's not weird because everyone is spiritual right now. Like I pulled into the co-op yesterday and I got behind a car that says my other vehicle is a broomstick, right? And everyone is spiritual right now. They, they think through spiritual things, whether they're wearing crystals or whatever, or, or they're just, or they're, you just find out your neighbor's relative passes away. That's an opportunity to talk about the afterlife and, and things to come. Everyone has some thoughts about some of this stuff. So just ask and then listen and then they might ask, well, what do you think? And there you go. There's an opportunity. But eventually, you gotta share. And then leave the rest with God. Just leave it with God. God does the work. We spread the word. He's the one that reconciles. We just share that message. Going back to seminary, I, th- I had to learn this when I was in a, in a theology of missions class which is how to take the gospel to another culture. And one of the assignments for class was to share the gospel with someone from, with another faith, from a different culture, with a different um, native language. So in Louisville was kind of this surprising um, place because there were lots of refugees and such settled there. So we had, to, we had to find someone to actually share the gospel with. And so I went, I chose to go to the Iraqi supermarket in town, the Al-Rasul supermarket, and just, I'd never been there before. And so I, I'm, I drive to this not awesome part of town, right? And I pull into the parking lot, um, what you see here, like it is not a great part of town. I was a little uncomfortable because like I said, I didn't really, I didn't really live there and and I'm just, here we go. And so I, 
I, I need to pass this class. And so I open the door and it is, it is like a different world all of a sudden. I step in and, and inside Mecca is being live streamed. I guess Muslims were live streaming before COVID. Um, but Mecca is being live streamed. There's, that, there's a display case in front with that like Arabic writing with the sword that's underneath it that you sometimes see on television. And there's a man behind the counter and there's a bunch of prayer rugs over here. And then I look to my right and there's a bunch of Middle Eastern food and, and sodas and different things from another culture, which I thought was really interested in because I like ethnic food. And, and I'm just kind of taking it all in. There's these, the smells a little bit different. I think there may have been incense or something like that. And then everyone that kind of walked in was greeted with an assalamu alaikum and, and you know, Arabic was being spoken. It was different. And I met this gentleman here in this photo and I spent the next hour and a half with him talking about faith, leading in with questions like, what do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? And wouldn't you know it, for the next hour and a half, I shared the truth about who Jesus was with him. And it really kind of taught me a couple different things. One, it taught me you just have to do it. You just have to embrace the awkward of the moment and share the gospel with people sometime. But here's the other thing it taught me is, is it's not gonna all blow up all the time. Like I think sometimes we like play these things out in our head. Like if I share the gospel with someone, it's gonna go sideways and we're not gonna be friends anymore or they're not gonna wanna hang out with me. And that's not necessarily true. Yeah, they might not want to if you're a jerk about it. But if, you, if you're just sharing the good news of the gospel and letting God do the work because you're just spreading the word, chances are your friendship will be fine. And I just had to learn that like we could have a conversation and it never went sideways. It was all just us sharing a little bit and me telling him a little bit about Jesus. We, we left, there was no hostility or animosity between us. So we just have to share it. Paul says that God was making his plea through him. Friends, God wants to make his pleas through us. And listen, I don't know what happened with here. Here's the other thing. I don't know what happened with this gentleman. I don't know if he ever heard the gospel again. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Friends, God does the work. We just spread the word. We just share the news. We just share that, hey, in Christ, God doesn't count our trespasses against us. And then we leave the rest with God. And that should bring us incredible amounts of freedom that we don't have to do the saving. God does. He does the reconciling. Our passage concludes with this well-known, amazing verse. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And friends, if you're like unsure of how to share the gospel, if you're unsure of how you would explain it, commit this one verse to memory. Commit this one verse to memory because it is a big picture of what the gospel is. It's a picture of the love of God, that he would make Jesus the perfect one, the one who came, the one who died, that he would take all of our sins and place 
all of him, him, the one who did not know sin, who didn't sin in thought, word, or deed, that he would take Jesus and place all of our sinfulness upon him. And then Jesus would take that with him upon the cross, die for our sins in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. And what that means is, is that all of a sudden, all of the good works that Jesus does, all of the good things that Jesus did, how he perfectly obeyed the Father, all of that stuff gets credited to you in Jesus Christ. He no longer counts our sins against us. He no longer holds it against us. We are safe, secure. We can't be lost. Our identity is solid. We, we, can't, we can't fall away. He holds us fast. All of his perfections get applied to us. We're free, uncondemned, fully and truly loved, even though God knows everything about us about us. This is the good news of the gospel, that Christ would take our sins upon himself. And friends, if you're here and you don't know Jesus at all, I want to invite you to place your faith in him. Because man, it is the only place that life can be found. It is the only place for security and hope in a broken world. Be reconciled to God. And brothers and sisters, if you know this good news, well, it's just too good to keep to ourselves. God did the work. We just spread the word. So let's do it.